Arts Report at 101.9 FM, broadcasting live from the unceded Musqueam Territory and the UBC Point Grey campus. I am Lula, and again, I'm taking care of the the sound system and all that stuff and all that jazz. Every day! <laughs> Every day now, because, yeah, because Jake is graduating soon. And, Let's um, hope. Oh, we hope, yeah. And he's not going to be here anymore so yeah get used to my voice i hope you like it if you don't i'm sorry (laughs) much less random yelling (laughs) yeah much less random yelling but yeah okay so we are gonna start the show with actually a pre-recorded interview jake do you want to give a little introduction so pacific theater is uh once again uh coming uh, is once again producing a show with Cave Canum Productions, which uh, some may remember as the outfit uh, that brought us uh, the Lonesome West last year, which was one of our, at least my favorite theater productions, probably that I've seen in Vancouver and definitely one of our top picks for last year. Um, and there's a similar uh, trend. That was probably the darkest uh play in Pacific's roster that year. And Pacific doesn't shy away from uh, darker stories as long as there's a redemptive element to them. This year, they've kind of doubled down on that because this uh, play is called Cherry Docks, and it is about an attorney, a Jewish attorney, defending a neo-Nazi. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot going on there. And I sat down with Kenton Claussen, who plays the, um, uh, the swastika gentleman, um, I actually don't know if the character is uh, tattooed or not, but um, it, and uh, about his uh, this very difficult process to bring to bring this to the stage, and about Cave Canham's sort of ethos and role within Pacific and in other venues. I thought it was a pretty good interview. <laughs> you can be the judge of that. If you don't like it, it's short. <laughs> cool. So that's what we're gonna hear right now. Hola, everybody. This is uh, Jake Clark broadcasting from the unceded Muscum territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. You probably already knew that. You may or may not know that the uh, jawbone is returning uh, in this form through the uh, the interview. I am currently recovering from some slight oral surgery, so if this becomes a little loopy, well, so it is. I'm joined here by Kenton Klassen, uh, one quarter of the Cave Canham Theatre Company, which is currently putting on Cherry Docks at Pacific in a couple of weeks. Kenton, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jake. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. And actually, it's very interesting that uh, you're sitting here because you and John, so John Voth, uh, another actor in Cave Canham, also starred in The Lonesome West last year, which was one of our favorite uh, productions of the last year. Yeah. And now you're bringing Cherry Docks in, which is interesting because they have very... Both some very dark subject matter. <laughs> yes, that's right. Could you unpack Cherry Docks a little bit? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So Cherry Docks is a two-hander, so it's just John and I in this one. And it's the story of a lawyer, a Jewish lawyer, who takes on a young neo-Nazi client. So I'm playing the, the neo-Nazi, and I'm on trial for a racially motivated murder. And this Jewish lawyer decides to represent me. And it's, it's, a, it's the journey that they go on together as they prepare for trial. So you can imagine, there's a whole bunch of tension. And um, yeah, it's really interesting because this lawyer decides to represent this guy, but he wants him to examine how he got to this place in order to create a defense that would work and in order for this guy to change. So he's can like essentially, uh, my character's facing seven years in prison or 
for manslaughter, or it could be up to 25 years if it's a first-degree murder or conviction. So that's the range. And so he's determined to get me, my character, to examine the hatred and how this happened and to dig into it in order to prepare a proper defense. So it's that, that journey of, of us going through this over seven months, and then my character's in isolation. So I'm in solitary confinement for all that time, and the pressure of that starts to weigh on me, and then the time crunch and all this stuff. So the only person that your character is speaking to is his lawyer. Yes. Yeah, and the place, it, it's, it, there's scenes with the two of us over the, over the seven months, and then there's monologues in between, kind of talking about where we're both at along the journey. Hmm. Yeah. And because this is in some ways similar to The Lonesome West in that it is, you know, you and John in a room yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Between these two, have you had to develop a specific kind of relationship for that, a specific kind of dynamic? What does that entail? It's a real benefit to work with somebody that you know well or somebody that you have a relationship with. Um, John and I live together. We're roommates. We're best friends. Um, we have a fun kind of bantery, brotherly relationship as it is. Brotherly, and, huh? Yeah, in some ways, Interesting, yeah. considering <laughs> Yeah, right? Exactly. So that, th- that relationship that we have feeds into the work, and I think it fed into Lonesome West. And with this one, it, I mean, it's a different type of, the characters are in a different relationship, but we already have a, a familiarity and a f- uh, yeah, there's there's a level of chemistry and and we're comfortable working with each other with you know gritty intense material. But it'll sh- it'll shift. It'll shift the dynamics at home. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, I can imagine. It's certainly a pretty robust undertaking to mm. trans transmit that relationship into one that seems built on a well adversarial might be underselling it a little bit, but <laughs> uh, perception of that. Now, I, I um apropos of that though, with this character you're playing who is a young uh, neo-Nazi. You know, there's the obvious possible, you know, contemporary <laughs> issues with radical... You just lifted up your hat to show me that your head's shaved. I'm like, <laughs> if I had a hat, I'd lift it up and show you that it's happening naturally. <laughs> um, apropos of that, because this is a story that is becoming surprisingly common in the news mm. of people who become radicalized, especially online, has this given you any insight into that? Yeah, you know, we... The last few years... White nationalism is on the rise again, and uh, anti-Semitism. There's been a bunch of racially motivated crimes. It's just it seems to be unfortunately growing again, and unfortunately this play is relevant again, or yeah, more relevant again. Um, it was written 20 years ago. In some ways, it's prophetic. There's a line in the play that says uh, my character is talking to the court, and and I say soon they won't even be skins anymore. They'll get a new uniform. Maybe maybe a nice corporate suit and some brogues, and it's like that's where we're at now. Whoa! So even Richard Spencer, hell, right? Exactly. It's exactly what happened. Yeah. And so I read that when we were, you know, figuring out what play we were going to do, and uh, we're like, this is this is so needed right now. And yeah, so I've dug into the alt right, and I've dug into Richard Spencer, and I've dug into um, some of these guys that were uh, part of that world and then got out of it. Did you ever watch American History X for this? Um, no, not yet. I'm, I'm going to watch it in the next week. I, I just watched Romper Stomper. Oh, man. That was, man. Yeah. yeah. With, um, that was Russell Crowe's That's Russell Crowe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I've watched a couple other, uh, a couple other things. Um, I also went and met with a guy who was a former uh, leader of a skinhead, international skin, skinhead gang in Toronto. 
And so he, he's out, obviously. Uh, and he's he now works with an organization called Life After Hate. Um, a great conversation. And I got to pick his brain. Like, how did you get indoctrinated into this world? What is it like in the world? What's, you know, what is, what is the relationship like between these, these guys? And, and, and then how, does, how did you come out of it? And it's been quite a, quite a journey of research. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Pretty dark side of it. Yeah. With that, apropos of that, actually, because this was at the Pacific again. Yeah. This is kind of the darkest show of the year mm-hmm. for Pacific. And that would, I would say, <laughs> quite easily be the Lonesome West as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Typically, the shows I bring in there are the dark ones. What is that dynamic like? <laughs> what do you mean? What is that dynamic like, working with Pacific, being oh. the darkest show of the season? You know, it's, am- it's amazing. Um, Ron Reed, the artistic director there, he, he's created a gem of a theater company. I went, I went there as an apprentice right after school. I studied acting at UBC here, mm-hmm. and then I went there for a year, did an apprenticeship, and uh, I, br- I brought in, you know, I, I tend to be drawn to grittier material, and I, br- I brought in this play called Gruesome Playground Injuries, and uh, it's pretty dark. And he loved it, and then he put it in his season, and I was like, what? And then, yeah, I just started to see that the, the balance that he's created there is really something, because they, they, they have, you know, feel-good plays that are, that make people feel excited and happy about life. And then they also address the darkest stuff in, in town, like some of the darker plays that you'll see in Vancouver, yeah. you'll see at Pacific Theatre. So I, I really respect Ron for, for allowing us to bring that type of material in because I think some of the stuff that comes out of these types of plays, you know, it's challenging, but it also asks really good questions, really necessary questions. Yeah, they've been totally on board with it. What would be your dream play to bring to Pacific? Or your dream Cave Cannon play? You know, I'm, this right now is is that. This is ideal for where we're at right now as a society. And, you know, working with John, uh, you know, he's I love working with him. The director that we brought on board is phenomenal. Uh, he's like a dream director for me. So right now I feel like I'm living the dream. Um, you know, down the road I'd love to bring in other stuff. I don't know, maybe Sam Shepard or something. But this yeah. is... This is good for now. <laughs> I remember shortly around the time Sam Shepard died, um, they were they were uh, showing Fool for Love. Yeah, yeah. At one of them, and that's like that starts with the Merle Haggard song I really really like. Yeah. So I was like seeing that one. I'm like this is amazing. And then when we did the show, it's just a ramble about Sam Shepard because of like just how great the plays are. Yeah, man, he's my favorite. He's my number one. Like, yeah. Yeah. Put on Barry Child and Pacific. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that would. I don't know if that probably would fly. not. Probably not. <laughs> there, typically, there's got to be some sort of redemptive quality to the material. Yes, and uh, that yeah. I can. <laughs> and Barry Child, not so much. Not, not really. <laughs> no, that one. Well, well, no spoilers, but good lord. <laughs> yeah. All right, this has been uh, this has been uh, the Jawbone or Derailed or whatever we're going to recall it. It's a redux of something. I'm still Jake Clark. This is Kenton Glasson, and when can we catch Cherry Docks at Pacific? Yeah, uh, okay, so we open April 5th, and we run April 5th till April 28th. You can buy tickets at pacifictheater.org. Uh, we've got matinees on Saturdays, and uh, I think there might be a Sunday or two as well. Um, you can also visit cavecannonproductions.com, where we've got more information about the show and our company. Kenton, it's been a pleasure having you in the studio. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Great to be here. Cheers. And we're back. So that was yeah. an interesting <laughs> interview to have conducted in retrospect. I, I mentioned this at the start of the interview, but I actually had my wisdom teeth out uh, on Friday. So I recorded that interview on Sunday. Kind of was a great guy to interview, uh, which I'm very thankful for because you probably couldn't tell. I didn't sound too much like Sylvester the Cat, but I was 
off the zoinkies a little bit <laughs> on the old pain medication, which is, I, I think that the interview could have gone much more, much more ungoodly um, in light of that. But it's this terrific thing, and it's quite a heavy thing to lay down, too. I mean, it's funny that they mentioned Sam Shepard because, as, again, as we mentioned there, like, we've discussed Sam Shepard before. There's some tough stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. And with that really lighthearted ending. <laughs> yeah, you, you, know what, you, you know what kind of music you want to listen to after this? Very uh, intense and mournful Portuguese ballads. Um, with Marisa. Fado is actually great. And, wouldn't mind listening to it right now, but it's kind of funny we bring this up as well because yeah. Sam Shepard's reappeared. Like we did, um, I think earlier. I think uh, Carmino and Sarah Tavares came uh, to the Chan Center. They played a double show. It was an amazing show, and that was for me my first experience with Fado music, and it's a really fantastic thing. Um, so it's very interesting now that Marisa, which I kept pronouncing with an Italian Z, Marisa, for for. Um, for, for reasons related to my poor sight reading, uh, is actually coming to the Chan Center on April 17th. Which would be, you know, just, it's great. Lots of, lots of wonderful fingerstyle guitar. Uh, yeah, is uh, really interesting to me just because it sometimes it's just so sad, but at the same time it has a light lightness to it. I don't know how I feel about it, though. Um, I've heard comparisons to like American country music because it is in often in a major key. It's the music's pretty cheerful, but the lyrical uh, content is incredibly dark. Um, there's, I mean, another thing because we have some musical shoutouts here. It's interesting to contrast them because one, I don't know if this is actually in in there, uh, but the, the university singers is about as far away from that as you can get, because choir music, comparing choir and fado, which is kind of what we're doing here, because we have these um, these two different mediums. Like Choir music is very on the nose, very much a concerted effort towards that, whereas things like fado and things like country music play to this uh, lyrical delicacy in that way. Yeah, I feel like, like both of those have to have such a vocal potency that yeah. um, not many people are able to accomplish, you know. And with that, like, also Christina Pato, um, who's a Spanish musician, is also coming to the Chan Center, but on April 11th, a little bit before Marisa. Um, and... Uh, Ooh, we have Student Rush. Student Rush? I'm, I'm trying to sight-read oh. the press <laughs> release here. It's it's it's, it's not going well. Uh, it's a Marisa problem, so to speak. Um yeah, I believe I, I think if I'm correct, the Christina Pato concert has student rush tickets, which is interesting because she's done a thing. One movie that we were going to spotlight, we didn't really uh, come around to is was on at the Cinematheque. It was a movie about Yo-Yo Ma and his Silk Road ensemble, uh, which is like I don't know if you if they're necessarily a classical concert group or if they're a world music group, but they travel around the world playing different music. And I think Christina Pato because she plays bagpipes, but she's it's really weird. Like I would not expect us. Spanish from Galicia, from which is like the the part of Spain that speaks the mixture between well, it speaks Galego, but it's like Galego sounds like a mixture of Portuguese and Spanish. Is playing bagpipes, you know? <laughs> Are they in the north of Spain? Are they up yeah, north? Yeah, it's like northeast of Spain, more or less. Because like there's a, is it northeast or north? Northwest on the ocean, on the Pacific Ocean, on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, my family's from there, so I should probably know this. I'm sorry, family. Because <laughs> <laughs> between the north of Spain and places like Ireland, there's a huge degree of exchange. That's why a, a, a lot of the Irish have like have like dark hair and brown eyes. 
Really? Yeah. Is there's the, well, there's two. There's yeah. I was not the wrong. dark Irish. Is the it was I pointed it the wrong the right direction in the studio, but I said the wrong thing. I just realized. But yes, North never eat salty worms. Northwestern. <laughs> what? what? Never eat salty worms. Yeah, like North, East, Southwest never oh, eat wow. salty worms. Hmm. That's yeah. <laughs> That's how I learned. <laughs> you learn something new every day. That is an interesting <laughs> mnemonic. But there, I, I'm wondering about that because, like, if there's that influence, like, there's that, that degree of exchange. Because similarly, close, the Irish play guitar. Though. Like, it's really not that close. But I don't know. I just it just feels strange to me because I would never associate Galicia with bagpipes. <laughs> you ever hear that song, uh, "The Mummers Dance"? It's like a new age song made by a Canadian. Okay, I'm seeing the map right. It's it's like directly south of Ireland, yeah. but with a lot of water between. Oh, a lot of water. Okay, it's so not that close. That's why it's not. Not that really. Close. No. Uh, interesting to think about, though. I'm trying to to think. There was this. She's a Canadian woman. She had a, she was a new age musician. Had a big hit with a song called "The Mummers Dance," uh, and she's hugely influenced by Galician folk music. I'm not sure sh- uh, the Mummers Dance. If we can. Uh, let me just let me just consult this small machine that gives us <laughs> access to infinite information. Uh, you know, I, I... can I say something that I just find really funny? Like I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't, but I kind of felt felt feel it as funny that her last name is literally Duck. Um, <laughs> Pato is Duck. Yeah, Pato is Duck. In, Portu- <laughs> in Portuguese or Spanish? In Portuguese, might be in Spanish. I don't think it's Spanish as well, but Portuguese for sure. Um, yeah, I, don't, I just find it funny because, like, I also have name. Uh, my names are also, like, objects and stuff. So, like, I always find it funny when other people have names that are objects or yeah. stuff. <laughs> like, in English, a lot of last names come from, I assume this happens in a lot of other languages, too, but they come from either where you're from or what your family did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of ex, like, like not ex-slaves, but, like, yeah, ex-slaves mm-hmm. in Brazilian history took the names, like, they could get religious names, and that's where we get, like, Jesus, so, like, from Jesus or from the cross or from whatever. Like, these are the names because they didn't have, like, a background, right? Because yeah. slave trade, you get, you lose all that. So they took on these Christian names. That's where those comes from. I remember hearing this recently that the reason um, a lot of, um, in, in the West, a lot of Jewish people are stereotyped as having German last names is because a lot of the... Jewish population of Germany ad- adopted, they, they took on German last names to adopt, essentially. But then the diaspora took on the last names. And similarly, like those, um, a lot of the names in English, names like Cooper or Brewer or Weaver, those are all just professions. Like for me, it's Clark, which means the first ancestor of mine who was on the census was literate and was like the notary public. Because nice. Clark is clerk, right? It's like, he writes people's names. <laughs> nice. Very slowly because this is the Middle Ages. <laughs> and then there's like like Carpenter. Like Cooper would be a guy who built barrels. Yeah, yeah. That's still a job. In Turkey too, people are usually, their last names are after what job they did. My last name means in Turkish a person who buys and sells flour. Like as oh, that's cute. Food, not oh. flour, the one you smell. Oh. The food flour. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, Miller in English or Farina in Italian. Um, yeah, exactly. Because like the actor Dennis Farina, like his name literally means Dennis Miller, who's a different personality. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah. Because I, actually I think Farina literally is flour, but it's also yeah. Miller. So, I, my name's Dennis Flower. 
It's always uh, fun. When people I, I love when people have names. But anyway, yes. <laughs> when people have names. <laughs> have names that are like <laughs> objects. It's so fun. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Christina Pato is coming on April 11th to the Chan Center um, for, I believe it, it is a one-time performance. And there will also she will also be giving a pre-show talk at 7 p.m., which if you're interested in... You know, she was the first woman to actually to ever release a solo uh, Gaita. Gaita is another word for bagpipe um, album yeah. in 1999. So if you're ever interested in bagpipes and, you know, or curious about that history, make sure to catch it. If you're a fan of Lorena McKennett, probably. Yeah. And so, right. That's the right. lady. <laughs> and we are going to go uh, to a quick PSA and ad break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Legally Blonde, Woo-hoo. the musical. Yay. Oh, my God. Oh, cool. my God, you guys. <laughs> Stress Lately, UBC Yoga Club is here to offer you a peace of mind. Come out to any of our 17 weekly classes running seven days a week, ranging from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. We have a class to accommodate your needs and abilities. Check us out at ubcyogaclub.com. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. And we're back. And um, so, yeah, so we have, we're very fortunate today to have a really good friend of mine, Marco, (laughs) is here in studio, and he was the lead. Um, the male lead in Legally Blonde, the musical. Um, the thing is, um, I've never actually watched Legally Blonde, not the movie, <laughs> not anything. So can you please tell me what it's all about? <laughs> of course. Hey, Lua. Thank you for having me. Um, Legally Blonde uh, uh, starts off about um, a girl uh, going to Harvard Law to uh, chase what she thinks is the love of her life. Um, going there for love, basically, and uh, she ends up finding more about uh, herself, and that there's um, more to what she wants out of life than, uh, say, find a man and settle down and get married. Uh, she ends up finding um, that she does have uh, a knack for law, and um, yeah, this is that's the story of her journey. And she's like, um, yeah, and uh, she a lot like of people doubt her on the way, uh, and it's about overcoming those odds. It's a very exciting, um, light-hearted show. Yeah, cool. As a blonde <laughs> myself, I am thrilled about the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the representation. Right, and we the, are missing that. The elucidation <laughs> everywhere. Of, uh, of, of, of my people. Uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I, when I first heard about this, I remember, because I've seen this put on a few times, it's a really fun play to stage, but it's also a surprisingly complex play to stage. And you play, uh, you play Emmett, who is... Spoilers, uh, the 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 true love interest, right? The romantic interest, yes, mm-hmm. of, the, of the play. Um, and in contrast to the original man, who she goes to chase in Harvard, Warner um, Huntington the Third, just his Huntington name says it all. Uh, for the name, he um, 
we know this uh, from movie canon. He got into Harvard because his parents are rich. Basically, he wouldn't have gotten in otherwise. Well, um, did you hear about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, relevant, yeah. Um, and uh, in the other hand, um, Emmett came from a very simple background, uh, poor. He grew up in the Roxbury slums, as one of the numbers uh, says. Um, and he has everything he has, his position as a as a, an assistant, as a TA at, at Harvard, his, um, his position uh, in Callahan's uh, big professor's uh, law firm, he got all that by working really hard. Um, and it's that's the big difference between the two of them, I guess. Callahan, by the way, in the movie played by London, Ontario legend Victor Garber. Represent? I, 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 I grew up growing in theater where his face is on the, the program. Wow. So. <laughs> And did you did you watch the movie before this? Or? Yes, uh, we had a little viewing party. Uh, it was uh, when we first uh, had one of the first get get-togethers as cast, crew, and band. Uh, I had seen the, the movie before, but ages ago. Um, but Legally Blonde, the musical was actually the first musical I'd ever watched, because um, musicals, Lua, you might be able to have some insight <laughs> into this, aren't as big of a thing in Brazil. No, they aren't. Um, well, we do have um, several actors that when they do produce musicals, they're really, really great. Like, I went, I watched The Addams Family. Mm. The uh, It was so good with one of Brazil's greatest, um, I, uh, my opinion of him is he's one of Brazil's greatest singers, but he's not... Uh, so super famous, uh, Daniel Boaventura, isn't that, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, he doesn't know. But anyway, <laughs> this guy, and he's like, he's an actor. He was ma- majorly, mainly an actor, and he has just like this smooth, really deep voice, and he, he reminds me kind of like a Michael Bublé kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he sings a lot of love songs and that kind of stuff. He's a crooner. I don't know what that means, but yes. Why <laughs> not? <laughs> but yeah, so he was the lead. He was um, Gomez Adams in the mm. play with Claudia Haya, which is one of Brazil's... Claudia m- Haya, do know. Like, most amazing actresses being his wife, uh, and I forgot her her name. Morticia. Morticia. Morticia, yes. Morticia Adams. And it was just such a great play. But that's the thing. Like, we really don't have um, that many musicals. I was part of a a musical-ish kind of company, but it was just dance, so we didn't really perform, like, full musicals. We did, like, medleys of dance mm. musicals, like we did Bob Foss, so with Little like little um, Blackbird or um, all that jazz, like, m- excerpts, you know? But, like, yeah, musicals aren't that big, but I love musicals. But yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah, when I first saw Legally Blonde was, um, we were visiting... Uh, the high school that I ended up uh, first going to, um, West Carlton High School. My middle school was a feeder school, quote-unquote, which means that a lot of our kids uh, in the middle school went to that specific high school, West Carlton. And we had a field trip where we go to, we went to see West Carlton, uh, their dress rehearsal for their show that they were doing Legally Blonde. And that was the first time I've ever, ever saw a musical, I think, ever. Uh, and I fell in love with the story, with the music. And with the show, I thought it was so impressive. And then I went home... And the MTV bootleg was on, of Legally Blonde was on YouTube. So I went and watched that. I'm sure a lot of people have seen that. Yeah. And then my mind was really blown because I saw the whole professional production. 
So Legally Blonde was really was what got me into musical. So it's really it really was a full circle to <laughs> finally get to take on the role of Emmett, which was honestly a dream role for me. And the thing is, like the uh, how I met Marco. Um, funny story. We met because we made a musical. We're in a musical together. <laughs> I was going to say how I met Marco is the different uh, Neil Patrick Harris television series. <laughs> <laughs> My mind went there too. <laughs> I'd watch it. How I met your Marco. <laughs> Well, yeah, and um, Marco, uh, the musical was Into the Woods. That's also how I met Sarah, who's here. (laughs) Sarah was the very much, uh, very ever-present role of (laughs) Snow White, which basically makes a small appearance and has a single line in the entire play. The only thing I did was literally the final scene, like final, final scene, second act. I yawned and said, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and that was a response to our line, the harder to wake, the better to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was not happy yep. with my yeah. prints. <laughs> yeah. Creepy line. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fun fact, the original version of that story, she has oh. children before she wakes up. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Really? Uh, by yeah. which point, I think she had some questions. I know. All of the stories, like, are, are kind so, of messed yeah. up. Are intended to scare yeah. German children. Uh-huh. That's that's the best way I saw the brothers cream. But yeah, that's how I met these two wonderful people that are sitting across from me right now. Um, um, if you can imagine, I do not sing at all. I was not part of the musical in acting in any shape or form because I suck at that. Yeah, she was our amazing choreographer. Yeah. She did a great job. That's what I <laughs> And Marco was the prince. So then again, look at Marco stealing these charming roles. Uh, <laughs> Oh, nice. Humbling. Um, it's nice humbling. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's great that, um, you know, um, students, uh, people like me, get to have a chance through the Residence Life musical to do what they want, as well as through MTT, uh, who did such a great job with, um, in, uh, not, sorry, Legally Blonde, but also um, the other musicals that they have put on since, you know, their foundation. Yeah. This is this is the second time they've adapted they've done a musical adapted from a non-musical movie that made a big splash in a past decade. What was the first one? Heather's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh we right, 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 right. Which frequently talked about on this show. And I, was I for one am a huge uh, Heather's fan. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah? Uh, yeah. It was so fun. Uh, I loved Heather's. Um, but this was your first experience with MTT, That's and how right. was that? Oh man, um, it was great. Awesome. Um, I definitely was surprised by um am i allowed to swear content warning warning. how they had their shit together uh uh, how much uh how things how i guess fluidly everything uh ended up going um for a a student organization um but more than that it was uh it was a lot of fun and it was it's something to know that you have um something scheduled in your day uh where you go for fun, and you're doing this for fun, and you're all working together uh, for one final project. Um, and yeah, so overall experience, fun out of fun. <laughs> fun out of fun. <laughs> MTT really thrives off that organization, too. There's, I, I remember a lot of memes, lots of memes being shared mm. in MTT. Is that still going on? About the bureaucracy of it all? No, the, just about everything. About everything. There are memes, yes. Um, uh, I know for, for uh, one of my... Um, uh, cast, co-cast members. Uh, one of the one of the cast uh, gave everyone uh, a personalized uh, card as a thank you thank you card for the production, which had a meme that uh, she had made 
uh, using our faces. Oh. So meme is very much so still part of the culture of MTT. That's the question. <laughs> there was, I remember like there was an MTT out of context meme that would have like just ri- these random lines. I can't remember a single one of them, but like they're just beating UBC confessions for just levels of inanity. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't think we're, uh, we're at that quite level. as big <laughs> as UBC confessions anymore. But no, no I, just, I just remember the meme a little bit. That's that, that's what that's what we'll say to our children. I just remember the meme. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, that's that's how we'll explain the electro process. So I'm always curious about like yes, I've been into part of musical, but I'm always curious about how um, other productions do it. Like, how was the process to um, really like because be, especially because MTT is such a big compared to what we did before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so big, you know, like, so has these, like, stuff, has these things in place to make sure that everything flows smoothly. So how is that process for you, like, the right. training and all that? Um, there is a, a lot of putting place, and I think that comes with years of them doing it, right? Uh, trial and failure and seeing, uh, seeing what, uh, trial and error, seeing what works and what doesn't. And um, it, it really, it gives you a sense of safety going in that you've you've uh you've seen the great productions they've done already and you, you kind of have a, a good sense that um things are going to be okay um especially i think um what was very interesting is that they had um i don't i forgot what the official title was um but our um assistant uh assistant director oliver Spielberg. Yeah, Oliver um, Spillsbury. He yep. Spillsbury, yes. <laughs> Spillsbros. Uh, he, uh, besides being an assistant director, uh, as part of the the club, he was also kind of like a. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering the title, but uh, um, I think a mental health. Right? Me- yeah. He's one of the VPs. Yes, uh, one yeah. of the. He's, he's um, the vice president. Okay. He, uh, I guess, he w- uh, took the on the role for the uh, the sake of the show as a mental health ambassador, uh, and so if you had any. Uh, concerns, you you could go to him, and and um, that also added to the sense of safety. Um, f- in the middle of the rehearsal process, once we're done with Act One, we also um, got encouraged to submit uh, feedback forms, uh, which went into the creative team uh, and really helped sh- uh, continue to shape the 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 club um, to better fit the specific cast needs. Um, so that was very neat. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And um, how did you get the role? Like, what was the auditioning process oh. like? <laughs> Favorite part. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, how did how was that? Um, so first, they ask you to um, if you're okay with frontal nudity, you know. <laughs> well, that is somewhat a little bit of a, uh, part of the play. I do have to. There's a, a lot of quick changes um, that I, I, I learned. <laughs> I, oh yeah, I had to. Uh, Get down, but um, we uh, they ask you what what character you want to play, and you you pick um, you can pick two songs that you're gonna perform, uh, and they are songs from a list they give you, excerpts from musical songs. So, say I was trying out for Emmett and Warner, I'd pick a song from the Emmett list and one song from the Warner list, and they're very very little uh, short excerpts as well as a um, a monologue that you you choose, uh, and you know I went in um, knew I was gonna do my best. Um, but I had heard that Nathan was trying out for Emmett, and I was certain that he was going to get the role. And I was right. And I was very surprised to hear back. Um, for callbacks, they, we, were the on, we were the only two Emmets called back. Um, and the only two Emmets cast. Yeah. And oh, then they ended wow. up casting the two of us, which was a lot of fun, actually. Um, and it gave the show, I find, um, it, it was very re-energizing for the cast to have 
uh, two L's and two Emmets um, because the two shows were very different when you went to to watch. Um, yeah, uh, and so there's definitely when you're doing the same show twice, like we had to do once at two two p.m. and one at seven, it's really helpful to not be doing the exact same show again, yeah. but to have something f fresher and newer. Oh yeah. And because uh, this also happened when um, I did go to see Heather's last year. Oh, my God. A year has gone by. Um, I know. Right. I get that <laughs> feeling a lot. Um, and that was also happened, like, where there were two main leads. Is that something that MTT is always doing or is, like, Usually, specific yeah. instances? Yeah. I, I wouldn't know this being my first uh, semester with MTT. <laughs> I can um, say something. I think... They double cast for harder, quote unquote, roles, the roles that would actually um, be challenging for the cast's health to perform four mm -hmm. times in a row. Yeah. Because last term they did thirteen the musical and they weren't double cast. There was only one person playing right. the lead role. Connor Meadows. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, definitely. It, I can imagine myself if I had to to do it four times, it would have been a lot more straining yeah. on my voice. Mm -hmm. Well, music, staging musicals is an endurance sport. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, <laughs> like, you're, 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 when you're singing and dancing, like, that's a whole other thing to add to the equation. Mm -hmm. And to do that well is also exponentially more difficult. That's true. And what uh, the double casting also allowed us to do was have a buddy who was learning the part with you. So uh, when it came to learning lines, learning harmonies, um, it, was, it was very nice having Nathan there who was also learning the part at the same time. Um, and I'm sure Ty and Emily... Uh, thought the same thing about each other. Nice. Cool. So I'm assuming this part was a tenor, like, right? Yes. You're yeah. Tenor? And you have singing training before this, or did it for uh, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Uh, I had done other musicals before. I also harassed my dad into buying me. The singing <laughs> lessons. After I asked him, "Do you think I sing well, Dad?" and he was like, "Eh." <laughs> <well>. <laughs> you can't be nice about it. Buy me lessons. <laughs> so I had a year of training before. Yeah. I, I get that. I, <laughs> my, my dad would probably do the same thing. He's like, do you sing well? I was like, well, uh, <laughs> you know, if you can't say anything nice, Jake. Uh. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so we're going to go for a quick PSA break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to hear from Sarah about what she thought about the musical. Ooh. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh. It's time to unlock the bathroom door and talk about Crohn's and colitis. They're lifelong diseases. They're on the rise among children under 10, and they involve severe abdominal pain, chronic diarrhea, and for many people, life-altering surgery. They're mired in secrecy and embarrassment, ignorance and fear, which only adds to the pain. It's time to make it stop. Crohn's and colitis, make it stop for life. Visit Crohn'sandcolitis.ca. Discorder, that free magazine from CITR, has been documenting the best in music, arts, and culture since 1983. Let's see what one man of prestige has to say about Discorder. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Dogg, and I fucks with Discorder magazine. How about that? <laughs> Smoke every day. Pick up a copy around Vancouver or f*** with Discorder online at discorder.ca. And
And that is my favorite. P- no, that's Jake's favorite PSA. It of is. All time. And <laughs> Hands down. That is. I, I really like it. It's not my favorite, though. <laughs> that is. It, it's just a lot of fun to play that. I, I really am enjoying it. Well, Narbar's standing outside right now. Like, we've. Like, there, there's a lot of pride in working at CITR for a lot of reasons. I'm going to miss it. Um, yeah. So, Sarah, do you want to tell Hi. us a little <laughs> more about what you think about the show? Um, so, it was great. Um, I just want to say I do wish I had seen both casts because, like Marco said, even though they're playing the same characters, they have differences because, I mean, every actor portrays the character diff- in a different way. But the reason I went to see Marco's night was because of, well, Marco, because of <laughs> your good for, for full disclosure, he's still in the studio, George. Yeah. <laughs> he's sitting he's right next hear. to me. He, wasn't, he didn't do that great right now. Like, no, just kidding. Um, so Marco was great. I am always amazed by his voice. That's like another story. He knows how much I just, you know, anytime he no, sings. No, I don't. I don't know anything. Anyways, so um, w- um, the cast Marco was in, Elle was played by Ty Williams, and God, I ha- have to say, she her breath support, I was running out oh, of yeah. breath when she was singing. <laughs> I don't know how she did it, but she was amazing. She portrayed Elle like it was all I could imagine. I wasn't, because Elle is kind of, like you said during the PSA, like a uh, girly girl wears pink. I don't know. I feel like it might be a little harder for people to portray it without it being too obvious that they're acting. But Ty made it like, you know, you were in the story with her. It wasn't like, it wasn't, it wasn't fake overly or done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't like, overly... I'm going to be like a mean girl. Yeah, it yeah, was like, exactly. genuine. It was, well, apropos it was of Heather's, it's also really relevant that she played Heather McNamara. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh huh. Exactly. The blondest <laughs> Heather, <laughs> which is saying something. Um, but overall, I found it, I was really curious to see. Um, one of the songs is sung by during Jumping Ropes. Oh. Are you serious? Yes, it yeah. is called. Whipped into shape. Whipped into shape, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, the character's name is Brooke, right? Brooke Wyndham, yeah. Yeah, Brooke Wyndham is uh, being accused of murder of her, her husband, and she has mm-hmm. this witness empire. So she continues to, Fitness you know. Empire. Yeah. What? Fitness empire? Fitness. Yeah, you said witness empire. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that. Gives I'm a sorry. very different impression. <laughs> <laughs> no, fitness empire. <laughs> yes. And, um,. <laughs> so yeah, she skips rope and um she has to sing during that and I don't know how they managed to do that but it was amazing. And the show in general, I was curious to see how they would do the design of the sets and the props because there's a lot of scene changes and a lot of set has to be changed but um the set changes were really quick. It didn't interrupt the show at all, which was amazing. And I just, I left singing every song in my head, which is always an amazing sign. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Piercing notes. How did you guys do the bend and snap? The bend and snap is a good tell because that one was, that's always a. Oh, it it was a lot of fun, too. I forgot to mention this. Um. Uh, since we're, uh, Emmett and I were double cast during our quote-unquote off nights, we played other characters. 
uh, one of which was just one of the guys who popped up at the salon during Bend and Snap, um, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Um, and so, what do you mean, how did we do Bend and Snap? How'd you not break your spine? Oh. oh. <laughs> well, we had so many talented dancers. That's another thing. Right. Yeah, true. There were a lot of dance scenes, and they were done greatly, I yeah, should say. Yeah, we had a very strong cast of uh, featured dancers who... Um, I think because we had such like a uh, large amount of people audition, I think because it's such a popular show, um, uh, we had um, also part of the auditions were dance auditions, and we were really like fortunate to find amazing dancers. And so, man, I should have like, known about <laughs> these opportunities beforehand. And so a lot of <laughs> a lot of the dance numbers were, first of all, primarily girls, and it's a very much so like a like a girl power type of show, which is awesome. Uh, Bend and Snap is one of them um, where, yeah, we have uh, the main characters and almost all the entirety of the, the featured dancers uh, in there to support. And it, it was really something to see. And, and being off night Emmett, um, being on stage with them is was, was very nice. Yeah, it was actually because I knew that Nathan was also playing Emmett. It was really fun seeing him not being Emmett and like <laughs> the opposite of what Emmett is, just like seeing girls and like I don't know partying and all that on stage that was actually really fun <laughs> um, if we need uh, a little bit of context the Bend and Snap is uh, uh, really it doesn't really contribute too much to the story in terms of the number uh, but the number is uh, it's Elle and her imaginary friends uh, that are in her head uh, which she calls a Greek chorus um, um, I have to just give a little note here. They're not exactly imaginary. They're her sure. friends from home, but they're not actually at Harvard with her. Okay. Yeah. Because yes. I was like, wait, right. I you thought she was like, right. yeah, I was um, a little bit confused, but really okay. reframe the story <laughs> yeah. a little bit. She's not crazy. Um, but they're teaching her new friend Paulette to do this dance move, the bend and snap. Uh, uh, I, that one I actually know. Because <laughs> I was like, because... Uh, that one I love. <laughs> we'll continue. Uh, but her friend Paulette, uh, wonderfully played by Annie Williams, by the way, um, has apparently such a powerful bend and snap that it just beckons men from all around to show up at her salon and just scream, damn. Yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. Uh, which yep, is hilarious. That's, that's what we do. Yep. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Yep. Just, just passing by, eating a churro. Damn! <laughs> Now there's chocolate sauce on my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, I know I'm putting you up in the spotlight, but I always do this when I have singers in here because oh, yes. <laughs> I'd love to hear a little piece of your favorite song if you would like oh, to good. sing it for us. Lose me. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite song, Sarah? What's my favorite? Uh, what that you sing? I, I don't know. You uh, don't do know one from, Do you want one for that I sing? Yeah, like from, or from you're like if you have a really good one that she didn't sing but you really love. I just love having singers in the show and being like, yeah, let's have singing people. <laughs> oh, like okay. last time I put I put Matthew on the spot, oh, uh, yeah. the opera singer. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah he, he right. amazing voice. Um, okay, I'll start. I'll do the start of Chip. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Do you want to give us context song, right? for that, that was song? The edition song. Yeah. Chip on my shoulder. L, <laughs> yeah, a little context. Okay. L Woods um, has just uh, she was invited to this party where her boyfriend's gonna be in, 
Um, her and ex or her no? ex-boyfriend okay. was gonna be. It's gonna be Warner Huntington the third. And uh, Warner's current girlfriend invites her, and this girlfriend uh, Vivian uh, says, uh, um, "You know, you should come to the party. It's a costume party. It's not really a costume party. Elle dresses up in this bunny outfit, um, and instead of." Shying away and making a fool of herself, she owns it. I, I think it's a very nice moment of the musical. Goes talk to Warner, uh, but at the end ends up leaving the party and then um, meets with with Emmett in the park bench, um, where she reveals her grand ploy to uh, find her love again, and he talks to her about his up, his upbringing. Um, yeah, cool. okay. let's hear it. <laughs> I grew up. In the Roxbury slums, with my mom and a series of bums, guys who showed me all the ways a man can fail. I got through law school by busting my ass, worked two jobs in addition to class, so forgive me for not weeping at your tail. Nice. Funny little sweet moment that uh, shows I'm at. I was going to volunteer to play the mouth organ, but I don't think it would have helped. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a missed opportunity now. Too late. <laughs> Oh. And was that your favorite song to sing? Uh, definitely the hardest one to learn. Um, I would say it, it was a lot of fun uh, just because of um, all the acting involved in it, too. Mm-hmm. It's a very dynamic uh, song. It starts with them at the park bench, and it basically ends up being the montage of their friendship starting. Uh, um, Elle, you know, getting her stuff together and uh, starting to learn how to study and focus a little bit better uh, goes into them in the classroom L kicking butt in the classroom how's, uh, how, sorry uh, how's that transition going on on the stage is like you guys walking and everything else changing around yeah basically that's like uh, how I imagine it. it is basically that and it starts at the park bench uh, everything changes we're in her room now I'm telling her to, to study opening the books um, Warner comes along and he's like, "This is the guy you're, you, you know, you're falling in love with. This. You can do better. Uh, don't you think you can impress him by, <laughs> you know, actually focusing and studying over, you know, just being sappy and and clingy to him?" And she's like, "Yes, yes." yes. <laughs> Quite literally, the best revenge is living well. Yes, exactly. I, I think feel that. that that's a good way to summarize that. And then in the end of Chip, it ends up with you know him just being really happy for her, and there's that moment of realization, like I've done well, taught her well. It's a it's a good show. I'm it's really really song. sorry I missed it. Um, I had plans to go, but stuff happened with my life, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I wasn't able to attend. But um, there's always next year, and I'm sure MCT will be putting an amazing show again. Yeah. Do we have any inkling of what that might be? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, um, well, um, we had um, elections recently, uh, and our our stage designer uh, Paige actually. Um, got uh hired as the new president for the, the, Ooh, nice. the and yeah i think um we're going to next year uh start moving away a little bit from doing two big shows uh we might do one production that's bigger uh and then for longer then? for yeah and then another one that's that's smaller and more focused and maybe do it on in on campus that's what i've been able to mm-hmm. scoop from page but um there's still uh, a lot of discussion that needs to happen before anything can be decided with execs, and it is a democratic process after all. You know the one thing I realized about Legally Blonde? This is about 
specifically about the movie to a degree, but it's also in the musical, is that in the ending of the movie, they do the, the captions as to like you know, where they are now. Like Elle Woods went on to be a successful lawyer. Uh, I've seen Legally Blonde too. That's debatable. Um, <laughs> uh, I've seen, uh, but then uh, you have uh, War- Warner's caption is, Warner graduated uh, without offers, without honors, and without a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and it really is kind of funny to look at in that respect because Warner's, motivating goal for, for both dumping L and for being just kind of I wouldn't call him really antagonistic but he's not like a, a sign of anything enjoyable or great about the yeah. current situation of education he does not succeed by that by that nature the people he doesn't expect he expects people he expects L to actively hold him back mm-hmm. uh, which is his rationale for breaking up with her in the beginning and that fails him completely and there's a really interesting message there it's uh uh, one of great relevancy, apropos of the best revenge is living well. Yeah. What I'm saying here is that Legally Blonde is a revenge movie. <laughs> <laughs> but like, a oh, girl power revenge yeah. movie power that doesn't movie. actually involve you taking revenge on people but just living your best life. No, it's not I spit on your grave. That's <laughs> a different variety. You know, best revenge is living well. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, at some points during the show, it really feels like it's it's that life or death, you know? You know, Elle really needs, needs to graduate from Harvard, get into Harvard, graduate from Harvard, get Warner back. It's it like it seems like a little bit of a silly plot, but there's some some really good meat behind it, especially with like such good performance from Ty and Emily. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's also very like it's just like very human. Like there is something in us that wants to prove mm-hmm. to someone else that like we can do better. And I don't know. Oh yeah. Well it's that's <laughs> that's part and parcel of an arts degree most of the time. <laughs> Not usually intentionally, but yeah. it's there, and that and that is also valuable because it is about, well, the the argument about preconceived notions is Elle's pretty well off to begin with, but that is what this is about in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. Is um, people do consider her a dumb blonde, which again, as as somebody who's a blonde radio DJ, uh, <laughs> I really do appreciate that stereotype being smashed. <laughs> right. Um, so thank you guys for tuning in today for the Arts Report. Um, is the Madison show coming up? I do I not believe, believe so, no. This is actually our CITR AGM is coming up today, so that means we figure things out. <laughs> and we'll see how things go for next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning in. I am Lua. I'm Jake. I'm Marco. <laughs> I'm Sarah. And we'll see you next, well, not see you, but you'll listen to us <laughs> next week. Same time. Right, please. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Cheers. The sun.